All right, hey, let's get back to our seats. We're going to open today's word. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Colossians as we're continuing our series. Uh, this is uh, part three of four. We'll conclude this series next Sunday. Um, but uh, anyway, part three this week. Uh, I've been sharing uh, the pulpit with a few of our different elders in our church. Uh, Max started out at the beginning. Then last week was, um, who was last week? Thomas, I'm sorry. <laughs> My mind went completely blank, Thomas. I apologize. Thomas was last week. And today uh, is Brandon Bailey. Uh, B squared. Uh, Brandon is coming. Uh, so let's uh, give a warm welcome to our good brother in Christ, Brandon Bailey, as he comes today. Thank you. Good morning. So B squared, that's probably going to stick now. Thank you, Jeremy. I think word got out that I was preaching this morning. Half our congregation stayed home. I'm kidding. I tried to keep it quiet for that very reason. But anytime I get to preach, I'm always honored. And it's a very humbling process to handle God's word. And I take that responsibility very seriously and, uh, and, and with joy to be up here in front of you all today. So um, I'll say this. I don't preach a lot. So if I say anything foolish, uh, give me some grace. If I say anything good, uh, hold on to that good thing, okay? And hopefully God will speak to you today. So as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, we are um, working through a series on Colossians and uh, quite a powerful book. Um, and today we're going to continue that series. And I think we've got, what, one more message coming on Colossians. Uh, if you haven't read through Colossians lately as we've been going through this, I would encourage you to do that. It's not a real long book, and it packs a lot of punch. Um, so the book of Colossians was written only 30 to 36 years after Jesus's uh, death and resurrection. Now that's not really a very long time, <clears throat> but in that short period of time, a lot of false teaching uh, came on the scene and was being uh, infiltrating the church. Um, now, what, we're about 2,000, almost 2,000 years after that now, and the amount of false teaching that is uh, in the church today and in the mainstream uh, is, is quite staggering, quite a bit more than just in that 30 to 36 years, amen? In fact, I looked this up, and I was actually surprised. Y'all, can anybody guess how many religions there are in the world today? Any takers? Too many? She says, yeah, amen. What I read was 4,000. 4,000 religions in the world today. Those are like official religions, and there's countless other ideas and beliefs and doctrines that, that have gone mainstream. So today, more than ever, we need to know what the true gospel is, and that's the title of today's message, The True Gospel. And that's what Paul really really tackles in uh, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> so as we get into this, let's pray together. I can never do too much prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word today. Uh, thankful for the power that it has to transform our lives and point us in the right direction. God, may your word just, it's living, it's active. May it be active and living in us today. Uh, may it just, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, so may it just cut through uh, any beliefs and challenge us in any area that we need it today. And Father, I just pray that you would um, have your way in this message and that you would um, let your Holy Spirit just use this word today and help us to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so as we get started, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1, and just, uh, we're going to just kind of set this up here with the first uh, several verses today. <clears throat> Paul writes, uh, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. See, Paul had not uh, been to, Col- to Colossae that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Right there, you could wrap the message up. A true knowledge of of God's mystery is, is found in Jesus. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. Powerful words there, that that picture of being rooted, established. That's God's will for us in our faith. Just as you were instructed in overflowing with gratitude. Now verse 8. <clears throat> We're going to camp out on, on verse 8 a little bit. The Apostle Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. That word captive there in the Greek actually means to carry one off as a captive or as a slave, to lead you away from the truth, to seduce or to spoil. Do you know that it's possible to be held captive by a thought? Right? Now I've got a story that, from my own life that really speaks to this. When I was very, very young, my brother liked to play tricks on me, right? My wife's already laughing. They've heard these stories so many times. And I can't remember how old I was. I'm just, I'm just little, okay? I was probably five or six. And my, my older brother, about six years older than me, really looked up to him, right? And so we're getting ready for bed and brushed our teeth and hit the Listerine, right? And back in the day, they didn't have it where it tasted real good. You know, it's strong stuff. So I used the Listerine, and I, and I felt like I had swallowed some of that Listerine, and that kind of concerned me. So I asked my brother, I said, I said, Brent, I said, I, I swallowed some of that Listerine. I said, well, is that okay? Like, what? Well, can you check that out? And he, he got the bottle and real concerned. And he started reading, and he, he looked at me real, real seriously and says, Brandon, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I'm sorry. You're not going to make it. I'm going to tell you what. And then he walked away. Right? So here I am, five, six years old, in, in my upstairs bathroom, nobody around, and I, I'm convinced. I'm dying. I, I, this is it. This is the end. So what do you do? I fall, fell out on the floor. <laughs> I'm laying there, and I'm staring up at the ceiling, and I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for it to go dark or whatever's going to happen, you know. And I waited there for what seemed like forever. 
It was the end. But nothing happened. I thought something was happening, but nothing happened. Finally, it was probably five, ten minutes later. It wasn't that long. I was little. But it felt like forever. Finally, I get up, and I went downstairs, and I sought some wise counsel. I went to my mom and my dad, and I said, I saw some Listerine, and Brent said I was going to die. Is that okay? They laughed. You're fine. You're fine. But I was held captive to that thought, right? I had some false teaching about Listerine at that moment. <laughs> Persuasive argument, right? And I was convinced in that moment that I was going to die from Listerine overdose. Not a thing. Well, could be a thing. Don't test that at home, okay? But we can be held captive by a thought. Now, some other examples. Maybe, have you ever been in an argument and you were just so convinced that your side of that argument was right? Then later on, come to find out you were really wrong, right? And I don't do that. I don't ever do that, right? My wife would back me up on that. <clears throat> but, um, hey, that happens. You're so persuaded. You're held captive by that way of thinking. Or how about worry? Worry can take you captive. We can get so consumed with the worst case scenario, right? Before we've really ever gotten a doctor's report, we're Googling things, right? We worry, right? And worry can hold you captive. Anxiety can hold you captive. But today we're going to apply this to, obviously, to teaching and to doctrine. So, so hear this story out. In the 1840s, there was a preacher named William Miller. He traveled the country preaching that the second coming of Christ was at hand and the world was going to end very soon. And him and his followers, based on some kind of twisting of Scripture from uh, Revelation from the book of Daniel, decided that the world was going to end on October 22nd, 1844. Now, Prentice, you, you were there. You can tell us that it didn't happen. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. But as that big day approached, of course, all these people, here's what they did. They gathered together. They left. They closed their businesses. They gave away their things and their money. They kissed family members goodbye who weren't going with them. They prepared to meet the Lord. And they gathered together and waited. And of course, on that day, Jesus didn't come. And the world didn't end. Now obviously, they didn't know the word. What did Jesus say? No man knows the day nor the hour. Right? But they were held captive by persuasive argument. They were held captive by that thought, He's coming tonight. If we don't pay attention to what we believe and why we believe it, if we don't know this word, then it's much easier to believe a lie. Now, I want to compare this passage that talks about being held captive to another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if we can get that up. 
Here's a place where Paul is actually a different Greek word, but they're both translated to the word captive. And this is a little bit different view here. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Are you held captive by the truth or are you held captive by a lie? Paul is saying here, Instead of being held captive by a lie, we should hold every thought up to obedience of Christ. Amen? So are you held captive by the truth or by a lie? So Paul gives us another another warning or another... place to be alert. In Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is actually um, talking to the, if I remember, the elders of uh, Ephesus, and uh, Luke captures his words here in uh, the book of Acts, in, in chapter 20, uh, verse, verses 27. And he starts, he says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And he says this, and this is so true for us still today. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, that's the church, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, from among your own selves... Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert and basically remember your training. Right? Remember your teaching. Be on alert. Are you on alert? Remember, there's more fal- there's probably more false teaching in the world today that's gone mainstream than ever before. It's shared through social media, it's shared through the internet. There's all kinds of different beliefs popping up. Now more than ever, it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. So the message is called the true gospel. So I should get to that, right? The whole point of uh, Colossians 2 is for Paul to lay out the, what the true gospel is because they had false teaching uh, coming in at the time. And I equate this to being similar to counterfeit money. Now look this up. Did you know there's $70 million in counterfeit bills going around? That's one out of every 10000 You might want to check your wallets. Just saying. So bankers, it's very important for bankers to know, uh, you know how, to ca- how to identify a counterfeit bill, right? But do you know how they do it? They don't study all the counterfeits. They don't study all the tricks of the trade or how people counterfeit bills, what to look for. You know what they study? They study the real thing, right? They study the real bills. And they know those so well that when a counterfeit comes along, they can spot it like that. I believe God wants us to know the real thing that well, right? So well that when a counterfeit gospel comes along, we... We just know, that's, that's not right. Right? And so we don't spend all our time studying the false doctrines, all the false beliefs, although it's really interesting study. My dad studies a lot of that. 
But more than that, my dad studies the Word of God, right? Know the Word. Know the Gospel. So Colossians 2, verse 9, we're going to start to see how Paul starts to outline what the true gospel is. And today, uh, we're really only going to do about half of it um, because Paul's long-winded, and uh, so am I. And um, the first section, so he really divides this into two sections. The first section is all about who Jesus is, okay? And then the second section, he he divides it into basically what the gospel does in our lives, okay? So today, we're really going to be focusing on who Jesus is. So he says in verse 9, he says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. False teachers at the time that this was written were trying to say that a couple different things. There was a false teaching that Jesus was just a man and that he was, you know, kind of selected by God to be a teacher and to be, you know, to die. And there were people who were trying to say that the opposite, that he, he was deity, but that he didn't exist in bodily form. That he was just appeared that way. Kind of cringy, right? And so, so Paul refutes this in this one line. In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is fully God. And when he was here on this earth, he was fully man. Doesn't sound real rational in our minds, right? How can he be fully this and fully this, but God can't be watered down, right? So in the book of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. That doesn't change. When Jesus came into bodily form, he was still God begotten from God, who's his son. God's not watered down, right? He's still fully God. So even in bodily form, he didn't quit existing to be God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Y'all are like, well, yeah, we got that down, but so many people don't, right? And it's important that we know what we believe. If you ever watch the Discovery Channel, Maybe Discovery Channel fans. It's very educational. But how do they portray Jesus? Right? You get a lot of historical accounts of Jesus and who, who he was, and it stops there. Right? In fact, there are like even other gospels that have come on the scene that were written after the fact that are not true gospels that try to say that Jesus went on and lived this life and all these other things that are not in the Bible. And you have to be careful what the source is, right? Who are these so-called historians who are, you know, trying to add to the gospel? And the thing is, the culture doesn't get to decide who Jesus is. Amen? Right? Uh, And we don't either. He does. He knows who he is. Jesus is not having an identity crisis. Right? Any midlifers here, like me? We get those kind of, kind of things, identity crises, right, honey? Do that. <laughs> me too. That's this phase of life. But Jesus, 
does not have an identity crisis, right? So we don't get to decide who he is, and the culture doesn't get to decide who he is. Who did he say he was? He said, I am. He knew it, right? But so often we do try to conform Jesus into our frame of reference. Follow me? An article I read from Ravi Zacharias said it this way. The New Ager wants him for an ascended master. The Hindu wants him for a guru. The Muslim will accept him as a prophet of Allah. And the secular humanist admires him as a great moral teacher. Like an immensely gifted athlete, it seems Jesus will be welcomed into almost any team provided the coaches retain a measure of confidence that they can tame him. We insist on meeting Jesus on our own terms and our ideas of who he is. And those ideas take the form of our most cherished images. Are we looking at Jesus through the lens of Scripture as our authority or through our own image? If you accept him as the lamb of God, we, we must also accept him as the lion. Amen? We accept that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. But do we also accept that he's coming back again someday to judge the world? Right? We'll accept him as our comforter and as our healer, but do we accept him as our sovereign ruler. He's the boss, right? For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God. And that's the first point of the true gospel. Verse 10, Paul goes on and he says, and in him, Jesus, you have been made complete. Lori set us up for that this morning. Thank you. The second point of the true gospel is that Jesus is enough. You get an amen on that. Salvation is not based on any membership to any certain church, it's not based on having some secret knowledge. Right? It's not based on anything that man can give you or take away from you. Salvation is only based in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to forgive your sins. Only that. Right, preacher? Pastor agrees. Okay, thank you. So many churches add to that. So many churches add to, you've got to be a member of this church. We are the bride of Christ. When I was very young, my family attended a church like that. They believed, they were very legalistic, and they believed that they were exclusively the bride of Christ, and that when their numbers got to be 144,000 across the, they had several churches across the country, when their numbers got to be that, then God would, would take them out. Now, thankfully, my parents got out of that church after it split. And their faith has thrived, but 
doctrines like that do a lot of damage on folks. My uncle wasn't so fortunate. He was very disillusioned with church and with God after that. Spent the majority of his life out of church. Wouldn't go. I mean, it crushed his faith. It wasn't until he was diagnosed with cancer that he really opened his heart back up to God in, in a powerful way before he, before he died. So doctrines like that can be, can be deadly. But nothing can be added to what Jesus has already done. Thomas reminded us of that last week. It's not based on our works. It's not based on your performance. We want to do good, but man, and when we don't, Jesus, his work is complete, right? Jesus is enough. He said it this way in John 14, 6. I don't think you guys have that. Don't worry about it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say except through me and New Life Church or such and such church, right? We're a part of the body of Christ, but we're not all of it, right? He's the head, not us. He's enough, not us. Amen? Now, sometimes you don't feel complete, right? This scripture says, in him you have been made complete. And that word for complete means to make full, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally, to render full or complete. Do you, if you're like me, some days you just don't feel complete. I'm like, God, am I getting there? Right? But I think that we feel that way because of our bad habit to look for fulfillment in other things. Right? I mean, it, there's so many other things that the world says, this will make you feel complete. This will make you satisfied. This will make you happy. Right? The newest iPhone. Right? I'm an Android guy, so I can say that. I, I have an Android phone. Or the, new, the newest Google phone. Or the newest gadget. Or the newest trend. Or this relationship. Or that relationship. Or this house. Or this promotion. It is very distracting. I mean, we can very easily start to look for satisfaction in so many other things, right? And not that any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, right? I mean, I like a nice house and a good job, and right? But Jesus just said, don't, don't try to find your completeness in those. Find it in me. Amen? Mm. God, forgive us for being distracted. The enemy loves to hang, dangle that little carrot out in front of us that we think we just got to get but can't reach. But, but in Jesus, we're made complete. We're satisfied. We sing about it this morning. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, you're made complete. Nothing else. Jesus is enough. All right, second part of verse 10. We're going to find our next point. Paul goes on and he says, And in him, okay, and in him you've been made complete, and he is the head 
over all rule and authority. This is a verse that sometimes we probably would like to skip over. It seems we have a cosmic authority problem, right? We've been talking about my childhood today, so I'll just go ahead and admit, growing up, I had quite the problem with authority. It's honest, kids. Don't take after your old man. Um, my dad would, would tell me to stop doing something, and there was just this something inside of me that just had to do it one more time. Right? Don't do that, kids. If he said, like, quit touching, quit touching that table, I'd be like, you know, one more time. Not cool. God had to work that out of me. Maybe he's still working it out of me, okay, if I'm honest. But we have, an, we have a cosmic authority problem, right? If you look at, the, look at the world, like, people might even accept Jesus as a teacher. We might accept him as, as a holy man. We might accept him as, even as being God and God's son. But people have a much harder time accepting him as Lord, and that's the next point, is Jesus is Lord, right? And that's a different meaning than just saying Jesus is God, right? So the true gospel doesn't just see him as God, it sees him as being in charge. It sees him as being Lord. When we say Lord, we're actually saying, that's actually an expression of submission. Saying, you're my master, you are God, you're in charge, I'm submitting to your will, Saying Jesus is Lord is, means much more than just rolling it off the tongue. It requires something from us. It requires submission. Not a really popular thing to preach on. Right? But the true gospel is one where we see Jesus as being Lord over our lives. I'm not the boss. And that's okay. So I thought through some signs that can show us that Jesus really is Lord over our lives. And when I would list these, I'm preaching to myself too, guys. Okay? So so signs, let's see how many I got. One, two, three, four, five signs that Jesus is Lord over your life. (coughs) Number one... You seek and submit to His will in your life, right? Seeking God's will. You're not just out after your own thing. You're not just doing what feels good to you. You're seeking God's will for your life. (coughs) Number two, you care more about what He thinks than what others think of you. That's a tough one, right? I'm going to say it again. You care more about what he thinks than what others think of you. That's a sign that, he, that you have made him Lord in your life. Number three, you resist temptation. Right? We want to do his will. And then number four, when you mess up and you don't resist temptation, you repent. Right? You're repentant. You return to him. You submit. Number five, you aim to please him. In the book of Revelations, it gives God, Jesus this 
label. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He has all authority and all rule. There's no one over him. Jesus is God. He is enough. And he is Lord. That's the true gospel. Mariah, if you want to play a little bit, you can. Now, we're not going to go through these, but in the next five verses, Paul actually outlines what Jesus, what his power does in us. And basically, these are the result of believing in the true gospel. It has an impact in in our lives. And basically, those can be summed up as that he transforms us. He resurrects us. He redeems us. And in the end, he triumphs. You can read through those next five verses. You see, there's, there's no such thing as the true gospel being dormant in your life. There's not a do-nothing gospel. The true gospel has an impact in us, amen? And if someone says, um, anything, you know, if somebody says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, and I believe, but they're living like the world, and you've seen no change in them, that I'm, I'm afraid that they may not have gotten the true gospel. Because the true gospel loves you just the way you are. But it loves you too much to leave you that way. Amen? I mean, God's will for your life is that you grow. And that's part of what church is all about. That we come together, we worship Him, glorify Him as Lord, and we grow together by hearing His Word, by encouraging one another, by lifting each other up, by having fellowship and community. His gospel is active in our hearts. And let me say this, and there's times in our lives when we kind of waver, right? It's not the goal, but it happens. And you may look back and say, I remember a time when I was just really alive in my faith. I was just really alive in Christ, and I I just don't feel that anymore. I don't know what, what changed. Well, let me tell you, he didn't change. He hasn't left you. He never will. He remains the same. Remember, He knows who He is. But maybe we forgot or lost touch with the true gospel. It's been said, we need to hear the gospel every day, for we forget it every day. It all comes back to what Jesus did on the cross the results of that in your life. Amen? So this morning, I just want to encourage you that if, that if you've been inspired today to kind of return to the roots of your faith, to, to just kind of recharge your, your faith, to reconnect with Jesus, then this is a great opportunity to do that. It's done it for me, just studying through this, getting back to the Word of God. Man, if I could 
if I could stay in the word the way I do when I'm studying to preach I'm working on that if we could stay in God's word let him speak in your life let him be Lord let him be God let him be enough the results are awesome amen you'll find your mind renewed no longer held captive by beliefs that you're not good enough no longer held captive by condemnation by past mistakes past regrets no longer held captive by earthly desires or seeking satisfaction in the wrong things but centered on Christ God may you renew our minds today so stand with me this morning and I just want to pray us all together that that we would have that this morning power in his word. Jesus, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for the work of the gospel in our lives, that it's active, that it's not dormant, that it's not shallow. You want to go deep into our hearts and in our lives and minds. Father, remove any barrier, any obstacle that we've held up higher than you. Jesus, we submit to you today as Lord of our lives and what that truly means. Lord, we declare that you are enough. We want to find our joy in you. And Lord, you are God. You've created us with purpose. And you've called us with a purpose. And Father, today we submit to that. And we thank you for it. God, may, we, may our minds be renewed. May we be encouraged today to read your word, to study it, to be a student of your word, to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower, not just casual on the side, but to be a participant of the gospel, to be active in it. Father, forgive us for where we've been lazy. Forgive us for where we've been tired. Forgive us, Father, where we've been discouraged. I pray, Lord, that you would lift us up this morning and spark in us a new desire, a new hunger for you and your word so that we would never be persuaded by deceitful arguments, but that we would hold fast to the true gospel and declare it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for hearing me out this morning, and I wish you just great growth and joy in the Lord.